welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Good morning, friends. I always wonder why they have that ramp here. You know, it's not like, you know, this huge, massive stage that you need a ramp to come up to at the joke joint, but figure we could use it. Um, just a couple of things that don't have anything to do with anything. Number one, uh, I've rec- some friends of ours recently went to Colorado, and they bought me this t-shirt. If you can't read this, it says Ure, which is a small town on the western slope of Colorado. Brewery is the second part. When they saw this shirt, they said to me, Micah, you had to have this shirt. Wait for it. That's right, friends. <laughs> what would Jesus brew? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like that, you know, the, the, the Brazilian, you know, statue or whatever, but here Jesus is just raising a glass to the one, you know, <laughs> to the few, the proud, the faithful, the, I don't know. Um, so we had a debate as to what Jesus would actually brew if Jesus were to brew, and if you're interested in that, you can talk to me afterwards, and the prayer team will be available as well. Um, <laughs> the other thing is, uh, has anybody ever had problems with their ears before? Whenever I go swimming lately, my left ear, there's something seriously wrong, guys. I, I, I got to get this checked out. Uh, what? Oh, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> nice segue, right? So I tell, I'm like, I can't hear. We went to the river yesterday, and I, I went swimming or did something. And uh, I'm like, I cannot hear. And Laura's like, oh, we should try this water pick thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah a couple of you. Oh, dear. Yeah, so I, I about this the water pick right that sounds kind of you know like picks near your eardrum like probably not the best idea but evidently it's this thing that like it shoots water so it's like a, it, it's got this uh you know reservoir of water and then this little this little gun and you just put it right in there and you just start shooting it and you could dial it up right like to to certain um thresholds so here i am in the bathroom last night and i'm thinking it's kind of like getting a haircut before this Sunday morning, like, if, in case it goes bad, like, what do you do, right? I'm like, I don't know if this is a good idea, babe. Well, okay, let's try it. So here I am, I've, I've got a bowl under my head, because, like, we want to, of course, see anything that comes out, like you do, because that's totally gross. So if you've ever had anything shot in your ear, I mean, it's, like, alarming, okay? So, you know, it's, like, just easy pressure, you know, so we start, and nothing's happening, and Laura's like, okay, let's crank it up a notch. And it's just like, bah, 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 like there was a jackhammer in my ear, and I'm just like calling uncle, you know, like uncle. The dog's, you know, wandering around wondering, what is going on here, guys? Uh, so if anybody, if you make any comments over here, I will not hear you. I can't hear you. So heckle, you know, say whatever you want. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but this ear can't hear you. So, all right, are you ready? You're ready. I'm ready. Oh, gosh. Sorry. I'm a little nervous now. Um, okay, so we are in a series on Moses. Uh, uh, we've been here a couple of weeks now. I'm having a blast with this. Really, really uh, lots of fun, finding all kinds of fun things. Uh, and so just by way of review, week one, we talked a little bit about names. These are the names was the text. And we, we introduced three names that have become really important in this story. Of course, one being Moses, uh, another being Egypt, which is a place, of course, but also more than a place. And then, uh, most importantly, the name of God, Yahweh, uh, in Exodus chapter 3. Last week, we talked about the idea or or the birth of Moses, this little story 
uh, of the birth of this boy named Moses. And of course, if you know the story, the Pharaoh decrees that all the baby boys uh, be killed and his mother places him in a basket. Um, and and these, a couple of really interesting things emerged. One, that Moses' mother calls him good, this Hebrew word tov, which has much more to do with, uh, it's a larger conversation than, oh yeah, that person's good, or they're fine, or they're lovely. But a larger conversation in the scriptures, which really has to do with all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, and the creation story, when God creates and says, and it was good. And so emerging uh, in this story is Moses, and his mother calls him good, which is to say that the God of creation is present here in this moment. Just when you think everything could be lost, all of the baby boys be gone, at which point you as a people group, it only takes a matter, it's only a matter of time, right, before you're like no longer a people. Just when it's there, that God that was present in Genesis 1 is present here in this moment. So there's much more going on here. And then Moses' mother, of course, places him in not a wicker basket, but an ark. An ark. And we find God, again, bringing about life among watery death, just like in Genesis 6 with Russell Crowe. And, uh, uh, and God, at, God moving and working and preventing death and in, instead creating life. And so today, we're going to move on to Moses as a young man. Um, and, and part of the author's way of drawing attention to something is by this stark contrast that we get between we've just been with Moses as a baby boy and then it's fast forward like 20 years and we hear nada zilch zippo. It's like one verse ends and the next one begins and that's the time that has spanned. And I think this is a very interesting way uh, and I would argue it provides an unbelievable contrast between that moment and this moment because this is a big moment. What comes next in, Gen- in Exodus chapter 3 is, of course, the burning bush and the whole story of the Exodus begins. And so right here in this moment, we have this placeholder where we see the development of two characters that we've already discussed, Moses and God. We hear some interesting things about both. So that's what I want to do today. I want to develop and look at these two characters in this story and uh, see, if, um, see if there isn't anything for us to hear from them and about them. Sound good? So stand if you can. Genesis, I'm sorry, Genesis. Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 11, says this. One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day, he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Sounds like a little, bo- little brother or sister. Who made you the boss? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early? And they answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? uh, Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him in to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage, because that's what you do when you invite people over for dinner. (laughs) Zipporah gave birth to a son. And Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. Things move quite quickly. Uh, During that long period, the king of Egypt died, and the Israelites groaned in slavery and cried out. And their God, uh, excuse me, and their cry for help 
because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and Jacob. God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Pray with me. God, what a fascinating story we have found ourselves in. And what uh, fascinating places we come from as we walk in these doors this morning. For some, joy, delight, excitement, new things, beginnings. For others, uh, despair, anxiety, possibly death. Um, It's all here. And so, God, I pray that, like you do, you would make yourselves known, make yourself known to us, that we would have eyes to see you and ears to hear you and hearts that are open to what you might be doing, that we, like Jacob, might say, surely you were in this place and we were not aware of it. God, wake us up. We pray in all God's people said. Amen. You can have a seat. (coughs) Eyes to see, ears to hear, one in particular. Uh, Okay, friends. So what I want to do, focus on these two characters. And I want to spend a little bit of time on Moses and most of our time on God, um, because it's church after all. Uh, but m- more, more seriously, because we've kind of been hovering around this idea of what is God like, right? I mean, we all have ideas and our culture and books and magazines and people and writers and bloggers. Everybody's got an idea as to what God is like and what God does and what God might say. But I think from these stories have emerged uh, maybe some interesting ideas about who God is and what God is like. And so I want to sort of camp there and end there today. Uh, Before we get there, we find the author of this book telling us some interesting things about Moses, right? He is, uh, we get these three vignettes, these three stories or instances that just kind of go one right after the other, and it's all leading up to what, of course, is coming next in in Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush, and we see this character that's developing Moses, or at least we're sort of given, like the curtain is pulled back a little bit to get us a look as to what kind of guy are we talking about here. So let's take a look at him. In the first one, we see Moses. He identifies himself with a people at a cost to himself. So if you remember, he sees an Egyptian who's beating a Hebrew, and the text says one of his own people, or some of your texts might say his own kin. Essentially, I mean, think about this just for a second. What is being said in this moment? Moses was found by an Egyptian. She was found, he was found by the Pharaoh's daughter, raised by the Pharaoh himself in an Egyptian home by an f- Egyptian woman, schooled in Egyptian schools, enculturated as an Egyptian. In fact, even later in the story, we find the shepherds and the, and the, the, the wives of, uh, of who we later know to be Jethro say he's an Egyptian. He's dressed like an Egyptian. He walks like an Egyptian. <laughs> Yes! Yes! That did not come to me first hour. Man! That was dynamite! Oh, can we just pause for a moment? I'm kidding. (laughs) So he is, for all intents and purposes, he's an Egyptian. And yet, something in him has been preserved, and he sees this Egyptian who's a symbol in the story of power, of slavery, of oppression, beating a Hebrew, the slave, the one at the bottom, 
the one who's down and out, the one who cannot get a leg up. And who does he identify with? Not the place that he's come from, not his position of power. No, he identifies, and this is like, this is a crossing over moment. Because if he keeps going as it is, all the status quo, he still gets to sit at the table. He still gets to eat the food. He gets all the benefits and all the perks that he's had all his life. But here in front of him is this moment. And it's, and, and we've been there before. Where you are called upon to act. And if you do, it will cost you. And what does he do? He crosses over. And he identifies and he says, I'm with them, not you. And it's interesting, the word that's used when, he say, when it says that Moses struck down the person is the same word that's used for the, the Egyptian that was beating the Hebrew. Same word. And I think it's really interesting that Moses, right, he's in, he looks around and he sees no one. He's in Egypt, friends, not in Iowa. I mean, there's, there may be no one in Iowa, but there's probably not no one. There, there are probably double negatives there. Uh, there are probably lots of people around in Egypt, right? I mean, this is a very populated place, and he sees no one. Now, I think sometimes we get stuck or we get bogged down, and so I'll just divert for a moment. When we read the text and we, when we read the Bible, often people will go, well, let's talk about the morality of whether or not Moses should have killed that guy. Let's talk about if it was wrong or if it was right or this, that, or the other thing. And I want to say, just straight out of the gate, that I don't think that the author cares I don't think that that's their concern at all. Look at the way the story is told. It's very factual. Moses sees uh, uh, an Egyptian beating Hebrew. He looks and sees no one around. He strikes the man down. He buries him. Next story. That's it. And it's as if what's wanting to be highlighted is Moses' response to these different instances that he finds himself in. Like, similarly, Genesis chapter 1. People come to Genesis 1 and they're like, how many days did it take God to make the earth? Let's talk about it. Let's debate. Let's have, let's have conferences about this kind of thing. And I would just go on record to say, I don't think the author of Genesis gives a rip how many days it took God to make the earth. I think what's being talked about there is a far different question, one that's much more compelling in my opinion, about what kind of God are we talking about here? Over and against all the other creation stories and all the other stories about God and the gods creating the earth out of chaos and out of, out of uh, anger and anxiety and using humans as slaves. Then you have this other story rising up that's head and shoulders different above all the rest. I think similarly, in this text, what's not being talked about is the morality of whether or not Moses should have killed that guy or not. Rather, what's being highlighted is what kind of person are we talking about here? And what do we see? Moses sees oppression he sees slavery, he sees injustice, and he acts. Because this is what leaders do. They act on behalf of people. So, I'm guessing that in some way, shape, or form, every single person in this room leads. You may not think of yourself as that, but I would argue that you could probably build a strong case that in some way, shape, or form, we all lead. What does it mean to act on behalf of the people that you lead? even when it costs you. That's the kind of person that we're being shown. That's what's being discussed, in my humble opinion. You may disagree with me, and that's fine. We're open to disagreements here. Permission to question, right? This is the kind of guy, this is the kind of person that we see in Moses. 
I would submit to you that this is what good leaders do. This is what godly leaders do. They act on behalf of others because this is what we see Jesus doing, acting on our behalf. In the second vignette, the second picture, we see Moses, and I would submit to you that he sees his people as more. Now, there's this great tradition in Jewish culture called Midrash, where the rabbis kind of add texture to a text, and they kind of read between the lines, and so I'm doing that in, in a sense. And again, you may think that it could be read differently. That's fine. But I think as I read this, I see Moses, and he sees a Hebrew beating a Hebrew, right? You remember Sandlot, the movie? You know, there's sort of this, you know, neighborhood uh, uh, ball game going on, and it's, you know, one team against another team, or maybe there was some, like, quintessential rival among your, your high schools or, that you grew up with. And, and you find Moses, he's got a Hebrew beating up another Hebrew. And I kind of imagine this scenario where he's like, come on, guys, like, we are slaves in a foreign land, we, the last thing we need to be doing is beating each other up. What we need to be doing is directing our attention, unifying ourselves as a group and pointing towards Egypt or trying to get ourselves out of here. But he sees these two people beating each other up and he says, why do you strike your fellow? Fellow, the word that's used there, same word that's used in the Ten Commandments when it talks about neighbor. Shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Same word that's used all through Leviticus when it talks about the other or your, the, the one in others. So we're talking about neighbor, we're talking about brother, sister, kin, someone close, this sort of, and he says, why do you hit your fellow, your, your, your fellow brother, your human, your Hebrew? Remember the Titans, you guys remember that movie? Great, great scene, you know, they're sort of, if you don't know the story, it's, a, it's a, way back in the uh, 60s or so in the South, uh, you know, terrible controversy among civil rights, and so there's this high school football team of both African Americans and, and white kids, and you just cannot figure out a way to work together for all of the reasons that you would, you would assume. And Denzel Washington is the coach, he's a, a black guy, and he comes in and he essentially says, like, we are getting ready to play these people, and you guys are sitting here bickering and fighting with each other. Like, we have no chance here. And I imagine this a bit like that, where he's, Moses sees these two, and he says, "Come, on, guys, come on. I seem to remember Jesus saying something about, a house divided upon itself cannot stand. So we have Moses, sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, he steps in. He sees another Hebrew beating another Hebrew. He steps in, he acts on behalf of. And then in this last story, we have Moses at a well with the daughters of Zipporah. And I always think of Zippo lighters when I read that, for whatever reason. Uh, but we have Moses wandering into the land of Midian, and he goes to a well, and he finds seven women, because that's where they hang out. And... Uh, and then he's invited back to the house, and then he marries one of them. Now, if, you, if you're paying very close attention to the Bible, you know that this story has already happened multiple times. Remember last week we talked about Moses, the, the abandoned hero, and that culturally, in the ancient Near East, this story is not new, right? This one, so a foreigner goes to a well. We find Abraham and his servant, they go to the well when they leave Haran. We find Jacob leaving his brother Esau, fleeing his brother Esau. He goes to a well, and he meets his wife. And now we have Moses. And if you can get past the bizarre and seemingly endorsed polygamous undercurrents, that there's seven of them there, um, what do we know about the number seven in biblical Hebrew? I'll play along. I got a, 
perfection, it's a big deal. Completion, infinite. Yeah, this is why I would submit to you, we know that there are seven days to, to make the world. Because it's complete. It's, it's, aha, there it is, right? In, in biblical Hebrew, seven is, a, is a, a symbol of completeness and fullness, and something is coming to be. What happens next in our story in, in Exodus 3? Moses is about to get called. He's about to hear it. He's about to stand by the burning bush. And the author says, there wasn't just one woman, there were seven. As if to say, something in Moses is happening, something is being tended to, something is being drawn out, and maybe, while a little bit uh, you know, hot-headed and uh, uh, ill-tempered at times, there's something in him that's happening. So I'll just stop for a moment and ask a couple of questions. It appears that Moses is being readied for this moment that we all know is coming. He's, the author is giving us these clues that he's indignant over impression, op- oppression. He will not let it. He won't let it go on. He gets involved. He acts on behalf of. He no longer is a silent bystander, but he's an active participant in what God is up to. And does anybody catch what Moses does for the woman at the women at the well? What does he do for them? Play along. He gets them water. Yes. Week one. What's Moses' name? To draw from the water. (laughs) You can't make it up. Brilliant storytelling. So if anybody has questions or, or thought like, yeah, maybe Mike is not really on his game about these ideas of rivers in the text and these sort of conversations that go on, here we have Moses about to get the news And what is he doing? He's doing his name. He's standing in his name. He draws water for the women. And now here it comes. Moses, Moses, Kineni, here I am. Don't come any closer. Oh, man, it's good, it's good. So a couple of questions for you this morning. As a leader in your own ways, whatever that looks like, as a mom, a dad, a a vocational person, full-time pay, whatever that looks like, what are the character qualities that God is readying in you? Either God's out there, random, up in the sky, not really concerned, or congruent with this story in this text, God is always at work, moving, working, doing What is God preparing in you? What is God nurturing in you? Is there something that you're being readied for? Because this is the kind of God that we see in this story. And it only becomes more clear in this last section here. So I want to read this verses 23 to 25 uh, in a different translation because this is woefully inadequate. Uh, This is a guy named Robert Alter, brilliant Jewish scholar. He writes it this way. And it happened when a long time had passed that the king of Egypt died and the Israelites groaned from the bondage and cried out. And their plea from the bondage went up to God and God heard their moaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the Israelites and God knew, period. That's how it ends. Not, and God was concerned about them. And God knew what is being said in this moment. What kind of God are we talking about here? God 
heard, remembered, saw, and knew these people. Uh, last year, about springtime, um, it was a bad spring. Seems to be part and parcel with us here in Minnesota. And it was, I think it was a late spring, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken. Cold, cold, that's what it was. It was very cold. And so it was that time of year when you think that everything in you is dead and everything around you is dead, but there's just like one kernel of hope that maybe it's not, and so everybody wants to buy flowers, and Bachman's like just shoots through the roof, right? You know that week or that, those couple weeks? So we're talking about flowers and, and window boxes and all this other kind of stuff, and we're out with some friends of ours, and uh, I had done some perennial. I love a good perennial garden. They've just come back. There they are every year. I love it. So I did some perennials in the front, and we're talking about the window boxes because, you know, the window box, it's like the exclamation point on the, on the home, you know, on the end of a good sentence. A beautiful window box. Oh, love it. So we're talking about window boxes. We're out with some friends of ours, and Laura, Laura was bemoaning that we had not gotten to our window boxes, and it was just kind of like this, you know, spring had drug on, and we were blah, 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 that kind of thing. And so we leave this meeting with our friends, and the next day we, we left our house around mid-morning or so, and we came back later that afternoon, and we drive up the driveway, and what do we find? A new bicycle! No, I'm kidding, window boxes. <laughs> Our friends that we were with that night go out, let's be honest, she went out <laughs> and went to Bachman's and bought Gerber daisies. Love Gerber daisies. Gosh, they're beautiful. And all kinds of just filled the window boxes, like overflowing with life and color. What if that's what God is like? Where the things that are like deep inside of you that you care about and you long for and you hope for and that you want, that God hears them and he listens. What if that's what God is like? God heard his people. And God remembered. Do you ever think about what's happening in brains when people remember? You know, you're just like going along, da-da-da-da-da, and then all of a sudden, like lightning, something comes to mind. And you're like, oh, I remembered. I re, like remembered that thing, whatever it is, I read it. <laughs> and it, it, it came to me again. There's this guy in our church. I had a terrible day last year. Somehow he got wind of it. It was so bad that I had pulled my boat out into the driveway and was just sitting in it because that was better than not, right? It was that kind of a day. Like you could just imagine you drive by and there I am in my driveway just sitting in my boat like a TV. And there I sat and up walks unnamed friend with a four-pack of Furious, Surly Furious. Somehow this person remembered that I love a good IPA. And he remembered me. How do you feel when somebody remembers you? There's a card on my shelf in my office funny, I had this illustration in there before yesterday, and uh, the beer man showed up yesterday too. <laughs> but I have this card in my office. 
And it's a family in this church who, November, if you didn't know that, was, is Pastor Appreciation Month. Nobody knows this. It's on KTIS, I guess. They, they, they might, which may be part of the problem. <laughs> but these folks, they're kind of old souls. And uh, they wrote me a card last year that just said, thank you for what you do and how much you've meant to my husband and I and our family. And when I write and I study, that card just like sits over the top of me. Somebody remembered. What if that's what God is like? And God saw them. The first time I ever studied with Rabbi Allen, it was bizarro, okay? This is a guy who has eyes that are just huge. They're like saucers. Have you ever been with people like this? The fir- honestly, the first time I studied with this guy, I, I went away and I, th- and I thought to myself, is he for real? Because it's a little overboard, you know, like, whoa, back off on the intense button, buddy. But he just, I mean, you walk in the door and he lasers you. And, it, and there could be an earthquake going on. Like, hey, we're, we're ready to eat dinner. And he is just locked in on you. As if you were the only person there. And he sees, like, well past this into this. And now I can't wait to go to the Patton's house because I know that Alan will just see me. I was doing some counseling and uh, the counselor asked me like, so Michael, what, what kind of leader do you want to be? And I said, well, I kind of want to be a bit like Alan. And he leans over and he's like, do you know how far you have to go? <laughs> I just like, okay, let's do the work, man. It's like, still, I'm working on it. But God saw them, and God knew them. And I love the fact that altar doesn't add anything because there's nothing there. And God knew. What? What did God know? It's like, it's like a delicious little hanging piece of fruit that's being asked to be picked. What did God know? What, what, do you have people in your life that really know you? I remember being in a conversation, a very difficult conversation. I'm sitting with people whom I love, and one person in particular, it was not going well, and we were not agreeing on something, and then, and then they sort of laid this one down. They said, Micah, I am really concerned about you, and I'm concerned about Awaken because of your low value of the scriptures. And in that moment, I thought to myself, you have no idea who I am. (laughs) I I don't, people don't do this for the money, (laughs) okay? I've given my life to this book. I love this book. I love what it's done to me. I love what it does to you. I love watching it find you. Man, I love it. And then another person in that group, I mean, just compare and contrast, darkness and light. I'm on my way home. I am just unglued in the car. I'm weeping, and my phone rings, and it's one of the other people in this conversation. He's like, that had to be hard to hear. How are you doing? 
That's not you. What does it mean to say that God knew? God knows you. That's a little different than an impersonal superpower floating around in the sky. So as we close, is there anything in you that God is preparing? Is there anything in you that God is readying, nurturing, caring for, tending to, like a gardener? What was Mary's question? Who did she think Jesus was? A gardener? Is God up to anything? Because this is who God is. Is there anybody that you need to see, remember, hear, know? We have an uncanny ability to miss people. And in our worst, we've all done it. Is there anybody that God is inviting you to see, to remember, to hear, to know? And what if God is like this? What if God sees you? What if God hears you, the things that are deep, deep inside? What if God remembers you, everything that's happened? What if God knows? Can you trust that God? Because this is the God who's being presented in this story. This is the God of this book. And ultimately, this is the God who shows up in the form of Jesus and on your behalf dies on a cross and says, follow me, trust me. I know the way home. I want to offer us just some time to think, reflect, be silent for centuries People, the people of God have come and gathered and often a part of that gathering is just being silent. And so to the degree that we can, we're going to do that. We may hear kids banging off the walls next door or you may hear the bar refrigerator going. But I want to invite you to a time of silence where you reflect just for a few moments and it won't be anything. But I want to invite you to consider some of those questions. If God's preparing or nurturing or tending to anything in you, there's anything, anyone you need to see or hear or remember or know. And what if this is what God really is like? <clears throat> Could have chosen lots of words, but the writer of this story wanted us to know that that's what God's like. And so maybe God has something for you today. So I'll pray and then we'll just sit for a moment and we'll sing one closing song together. So pray with me. God, here we are, and here you are. In all of our brokenness, in all of our frailty, our anger, our bitterness, our hope, our desire, here we are. I pray that you would meet us, my friends and I, right where you find us, and that you would gently like a mother, like a father, invite us to take one step forward, to come out of the darkness, into the light, that you would begin to transform us, change us, make us new, restore us, heal us in ways that only you can.
So in these next few moments, Scott, speak loudly. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.